irrespective. Expert level information, entertainment, education. Rev here, we got you covered as you hit your destination. Climate rules everything around me. Dream. For those who lost focus, close your eyes and just dream. Open your third eye, now the world is your office. Coolest, coolest show you know the hip hop chorus. Well, first, to my brother, uh, Ramon Cruz, um, welcome uh, to the coolest show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Reverend. Uh, you know, it's an honor to uh, to be here with you. Uh, in, and it's an honor to be in this uh, podcast that, you know, so many people that I admire have been part of. Yeah, yeah, no, it's quite, quite a few. Well, welcome to the podcast and thank you for joining the conversation. For those who for those who don't know um, your body of work, please tell us who is Ramon Cruz. Uh, well, thanks again for the opportunity. You know, I'm well. I'm currently the president of the Sierra Club, the first uh, Latinx to occupy this position in almost 130 years of the organization. You know, going all the way back to John Muir, that was a, an essential figure in the history of the conservation movement as we know it today in the US and in the in the world. Uh, I come from Boriquen, which is the Taino name of the island of Puerto Rico. And even though I, I live right now in the Lenape territory, which is the, the unceded land of the Canarsie people, otherwise known as uh, Brooklyn, New York, and uh, I identify with the pronouns he, him, his. And I'm an environmental advocate and have been throughout my career. and. Even though there were many influences in my early life that led me to this path, I, I think social justice uh, consciousness is what made me choose environmental advocacy and policy as a career. Well, I know the last time we were hanging out, we were hanging out actually in Brooklyn. <laughs> yep, that is true. That is true. We were hanging out together great. there and we had an amazing conversation. Who would you say is your community? Um, hmm. my community, um, well, I mean, of course there are many definitions and multiplicity of concepts, uh, you know, when identifying, uh, a community. Um, so, I mean, I, I would say I, I orbit around Puerto Rico and the Caribbean, you know, I dream in Spanish and then move and dance to, to Afro-Caribbean rhythms and music. Uh, you know, I'm of, of I'm of mixed race. Um, you know, even though I'm in in Puerto Rico, we think of race differently than in the U.S. You know, my mom would would have been considered white, and my father black in the U.S. And and I, I want to clarify, of course, that by no means I, I I'm saying that there is no racism in Puerto Rico, but that it is not defined the same way. You know, I got to know about the one drop rule in the U.S. Not in in Puerto Rico, as everybody has uh, drops there, and uh, and uh, you know, but certainly there is a lot of racism as well that that goes beyond the myth of a of a mixed race that came together, you know. But as as for other communities, I I belong to the environmental and justice community. Uh, I became an environmentalist because of an interest in social movements. So so I cannot separate one from the other, you know, the green from. Uh, you know, the, the the justice movement. And it is great to have different communities. Uh, you know, we'll need that for support for for our formation, you know, to shape our decisions. Uh, the, the more communities that people belong to, usually the more intersectional one can be, you know, and the more tolerant one can be. And, and, and the more we understand each other and, and you know, the more 
one can be conscious of, of one's privileges and, and opportunities and of one needs. So I'm, I'm proud of the experiences that have shaped me and allowed me to, to you know, belong to a professional community, uh, the environmental community, locally, nationally, and, and also internationally. Speak to us uh, about Sierra Club. What is Sierra Club in the 21st century? Um, well, let's see. The, the Sierra Club um, of the 21st century, um, you know, it's, it's an organization, you know, that uh, I think, I mean, uh, you know, a lot of people, it's, of course, a brand that people recognize and, and people, um, you know, it has meant different things for different people. You know, I could say, I could, I would like to say about the, the organization that, that we aspire to be. Uh, you know, of course, it's not a perfect organization. It's it's right now the the largest and um, and the oldest environmental organization. Um, often, I refer to it as a as a national grassroots organization. Uh, you know, as uh, contradictory as as that could be, right? If you're national, how come you are uh, you know grassroots? But the reality is, and I can explain that in. Uh, you know, further in the, you know, down in the conversation, but, uh, but, you know, we have so many chapters and, uh, you know, have the ability to be a voice at the national level and also be involved at the local level uh, and state level. So, so we play in different ways, in different fronts, no. And, uh, and I think it's one of the, of the first, uh, uh, you know, environmental organizations in the movement, uh, as we know it today, or in the modern movement, I will define it separately from our first part that was more focused on conservation. But later on, you know, say after 1970, when when the first Earth Day happened and all the big pieces of legislation that defined the movement uh, or the, you know, that all the environmental framework for regulation and policy, you know, we were very involved in that. But that doesn't mean by any chance that by any way that it was a uh, a perfect movement or a movement that was inclusive, uh, you know, quite quite the opposite as, as we have seen, you know. But I think we have come a long way, you know, if we think of the, you know, that first, uh, uh, you know, uh, gathering, uh, uh, you know, summit of people of color and environmental justice organization uh, in, 19, in the early 1990s, um, you know, and when they gave a letter to the to the big green groups and, and uh, and define themselves as, you know, you're there, we're here, you know, but also it was a wake up call. And I think since then, you know, a lot of the big green groups uh, and uh, including the Sierra Globe has become much more open, much more inclusive. And, uh, and you know, adopted in our case, we adopted in the late 90s an environmental uh, justice policy eventually started an environmental justice program uh, in the, I think it was 2014 or so that we then adopted the HEMES principles for democratic organizing as our methodology for organizing. And so, uh, so you know, and these principles were, you know, is, is based on mutuality, on, on collaboration, on partnerships. We're being asked to join rather than just parachuting ourselves, uh, you know, with our size, with our, um, you know, relative strength within the movement. So, so I think now we're much more sensitive to that. And again, by no means it's, uh, it's a perfect uh, 
dynamic, but I think it is uh, um, where others are holding us accountable and, and ourselves as well. And that is, uh, of course, uh, necessary. And so, but we have seen it in the way that the movement is changing, uh, you know, lately, um, the green group, for example, that it's what gathers most of the, of the, uh, that used to gather the main environmental national groups, uh, you know, it's now much more open and has uh, many other organizations coming in. Uh, very instrumental, for example, is what, what is called right now the Equitable and Just National Climate Platform, that it's led by uh, environmental justice organizations that it's led by people of color and so so i think the movement is is evolving and that's and that's good and i would like to to see the sierra club uh, going more and more in that direction and center everything we do uh, in uh, equity and justice so no no and i want to i want to follow up on i want to ask you a, a personal and then on that professional Question and I want folks who are listening know to know that me and Ramona are friends and so, and I'm and I'm mindful of this question because I'm also I, I have something when I think that when people of color are leading um, predominantly white institutions sometimes they're thrust in a position to defend white supremacy and that is a very awkward position people of color. Um, and sometimes we don't understand that uh, dynamic. And so I'm, I understand the dynamic and I don't, and I am mindful of that and, and, and how that could be awkward and, and, and a very, uh, uh, a situation that is, that is uncomfortable. So with that being said, I then <laughs> ask this question, you know, to you, um, you are in a position <laughs> where you are, um, uh, in your position, um, leading an organization that has had some issues in regards to um, white supremacy, um, some issues in regards to what it has in far as what it done for the conservation movement. You just outlined very well that it is coming forward. But personally, for you and for other people of color, how, how safe is the Sierra Club right now? Um, wow. Um, you know, it's of course a, a difficult question. Let me, let me first, like, I guess, explain, you know, where I am, or I don't know if that was in your, in your, uh, no, please go you ahead. Know, but, no, definitely, you definitely. know, the, the role that I have, et cetera. And, and then I can get more into that, but, you know, like, I guess, uh, you know, right now I'm, I'm the president of the whole organization and it's a complex organization, you know, everyone, uh, I, I know everyone would say that about their own institutions, but you know, after having served in a, in different boards or, and worked in different organizations, served in government. I mean, government is quite <laughs> quite complex in itself. But you know, I can testify that that the Sierra Club is is complex. No, it's I'm, I'm the president of the board of directors, which is uh, unique and and very different than many other organizations because we're all democratically elected by the membership. And, and we're all volunteers as well. So it is, at the same time, it is the ultimate decision-making body, uh, you know, that approves budget, major policies, et cetera. And, and so oversee also the executive director that, uh, as you know, is, is Michael Brune, uh, but, uh, but he announced uh, his resignation after 12 years, almost 12 years in the, uh, you know, at the 
uh, in the organization. It will uh, uh, phase out at the end of the year, and and we're uh, you know there's a transition period with uh, Dan Chu uh, act as acting ED. But we have 64 chapters, you know, spread throughout the nation, Puerto Rico and Canada included, and and you know works kind of like a franchise with its own executive committees and staff, etc. So you can imagine it's not the same being in the Sierra Club in New York City as, uh, you know, Sierra Club in Alabama uh, or Sierra Club in Idaho. And so so it is, uh, you know, very complex in, in that regard, you know. And uh, so but again, there is one uh, board of directors that uh, that for the whole organization for for at the national level, uh, you know, that establishes the, the policies and internal policies, uh, you know, develop and implement a budget and and set the directions and engage. I mean, we don't engage in the day-to-day management. There's an executive team, but, you know, it's, it's complex. So, you know, in this moment, um, I guess, um, you know, when, when you have um, people of color, uh, you know, at the at the lead that goes to the to to your question, uh, you know, I think that that it is especially in this moment, uh, you know, after that um, summer of reckoning, you know, after the murder of of George Floyd, uh, you know, there has been a moment of of self analysis, and it's not that it's new; it's not in the that it hasn't been in the past. No, but I think that moment, uh, you know, had institutions, uh, you know, in this country made an effort to uh, to raise the voices of of those that have been invisible in the past, especially when it comes to people of color, people with different gender identities women in particular, you know, so, so there is certainly a moment, uh, you know, to allow for that leadership and, and, you know, it's, um, you know, is it safe, for example, I don't know if there has been a moment that it, that it's safe, you know, but, uh, but it's certainly, again, this is the moment that I have to, to, that I had the opportunity to lead. And I, I would say, you know, even though, you know, there was a lot of, uh, of uh, noise when I became the first Latinx, uh, you know, I was not the first person of color to to occupy this position. I don't know. I mean, you know, certainly Aaron mm-hmm. Mayer, mm-hmm. Alison Chin was actually the uh, the first uh, person of color president of the Sierra Club. Uh, I mean, she has done so much, you know, to raise, uh, you know, these voices and in a very humble and selfless way, you know, to bring so many others with her to to ensure that equity and justice was in everything and you know i consider her a mentor and and the club wouldn't have been the same without her uh, you know so i mean an important to notice of course beyond the sierra club you know i i definitely stand on the shoulders of of giants that that helped opening these doors for me and i have been able to develop a career in environmental advocacy in the big green groups you know and uh, like i worked at edf and nrdc as well and uh, you know but it was because of the work of and 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 some people really um you know breaking those doors you know peggy shepherd richard moore you know dr bullard so many others that uh that had been asking that for a while. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's important to, to recognize that. And, and I guess, you know, in this moment in time, it is important that, 
that people of color lead and it is important that that women lead you know they're they they have for some time in the progressive movement but i do hope that you know there is more and more on that in the future we see it in the in the progressive voices in congress uh you know with aoc and others you know i think that the future is certainly you know female and then increasingly more the future speaks spanish you know and i'm, I'm so impressed with the with the new generation of people of color you know so prepared so clear and and i'm hopeful uh, you know that uh, of, i'm hopeful because of them and and they they give me hope and inspiration so i don't know I, well i guess i i went on and on no 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 no. Yeah, in, no, I mean, the, no 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 i think i think it's important for you well but actually should, I, should I answer the safe the the safety i was going to say yeah you, you should definitely answer the question <laughs> <laughs> So, so sorry that I, I went on it, you know, but, uh, you know, of course, it's a, it's a difficult question. We have never, I would say, been safe uh, because um, often we have to compensate for things that we shouldn't compensate. But uh, but it is as as people of color and as, as people uh, that it's not usually the mainstream, no? Um, so often we 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 feel that that we have to fit in or, or that we have to to compensate no and so uh, you know even uh, even though I, I think that's important yeah. for you to explain what you mean when you say con uh-huh well you know often when you know i i speak four languages i i went to i i had the privilege to go to ivy league schools you know i still doubt myself for many years you know i was the darker the youngest, uh, you know, I used to have a ponytail, an accent. I mean, I still have a, a, an accent, you know, shortest person in the room, you know, and, and, you know, you, you come into these, uh, halls of, uh, you know, of, of power and often it's, it's white males that are, that are there, you know, and, I'm I'm proudly the, the product of an affirmative action program that allowed me to enter into these universities and and you know there has been moments when i when i say that i you know i have seen comments saying like oh you know how does it feel that you're there because of my race you know not necessarily the qualification and it is quite the opposite you know so many you know white men got there before regardless of their qualification because of their of uh, of the race no and so and so we don't compete in, in equal grounds, you know? And so, you know, I always wonder how, how would it be to be a person that never doubts uh, himself? You know, uh, there is a confidence that, that comes with the territory of never being questioned and never having to ask for permission to speak. And so, you know, for, for me and for many of us, it is not that way, even though I know that I'm well prepared, that I'm very capable. So that's why, you know, sometimes um, it is, it, it, that's, that's what I mean in, the, in that moment. So it is safe for, for uh, if it's, is it safe for people of color to lead? You know, it is questionable. However, there is no other way. I don't see any other way. We'll be here and, and it will take a while, but we'll get there and we're getting there, not by alienating the people, the other people that have led in the past, but to bringing them together. Uh, you know, after one of these equ equity trainings in, in the organization, one of the white male's uh, colleagues, you know, told me like, wow, you know, like now I feel I have to, to walk on eggshells. 
uh, you know, and I'm like, well, you know, welcome to, to our world, you know? And so, you know, we better, and that's the way it's going to be. And it's good that you feel that way. Not that my goal is that everybody feels that way, but everybody better walk on eggshells until nobody walk on eggshells. And so that is, I think, what, uh, you know, why is not necessarily, uh, you know, safe and it will take a while, but, but we're getting there. And, and, you know, also careful, I think, in that question of not setting ourselves to fail, uh, you know, because then we expect too much of our leaders and we expect then even more of people of color, of women, because we have different standards and we question uh, ourselves and we question them. And so, um, so you know, it's, uh, it's, it's necessary to get there. And of course, I'm not saying that then that we should be, um, you know, justifying mistakes or shortcomings. That's not good either. But, you know, so let me ask conversation. You, no, 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 no. But let me, let me, let me add to that right now. And I think this, hopefully this will help a little bit in the conversation. I think that what you're saying impacts even how we do this work of being and how we are an environmentalist and how we are an environmental organization, right? What you're saying fundamentally is that it, until we correct that and create a, a, a place that is safe within and without, that we really can't do this work. And so let me, let me give you an example. I think this may be helpful for you and for those who are listening. When I was um, coming up as a young minister, um, one of the things, and I realized that in my uh, denomination was that they didn't allow women to preach. Um, and as time went on, that became a non-starter for me. And I began to speak out and literally, in some cases, got ostracized from my, my denomination, because that's what they, that's what they wanted to believe. And that wasn't what I believe. And I could just fight the battle on that, that yes, women should be able to preach. That was my battle. But then I even went further and I realized that not only was that problematic from the standpoint that that was wrong, but it was problematic because it shaped literally how I saw the divine. Because then I realized that I was seeing the divine through a patriarchal lens. And I wasn't seeing it through the feminine power of, of what it should be seen, the, 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 the she God in that essence and seeing the woman God. And that literally was shaping how I was literally seeing how the divine should be because of the patriarchal nature around me. And so I had to literally un, un, take off all of that to then, wow, I didn't know all of that. All of that was on me to get to this point. What I'm saying, what you're saying here is that if the Sierra Club, not just Sierra Club, obviously I'm talking to you, but all big greens in this case who have been relying upon privilege and white supremacy, that literally how we do environmentalism is impacted this way. And because we don't see it through the lens of the people who are actually impacted, we see it through the lens of white supremacy. And so the organizations that are built upon that are built at their foundation, in some cases, incorrectly until they fix that lens, which goes to the professional part of that question. What are you now doing to correct that? Can you correct that? Is it possible to correct that? And can that be a shift or do we got to start all over 
in some cases to get it right? Um, well, I mean, I wish we could start all over, but uh, then we would be, you know, out of the organization and, and starting and it will still be, uh, you know, all our experiences will be there. Well, and thanks, uh, thanks actually for sharing that and putting that into into that uh, that that context. Now that uh, I think the mindset is possible to sort of like press reset, like in the way that you were describing, and um, and I think um, you know with with our organization, um, you know, we. Um, we have been in this moment of reckoning, you know, that, uh, for example, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you probably saw that whole uh, controversy of uh, re-examining our history and our past uh, and figures that were holy or sacred for many, like John Muir and many of our founders, and basically putting in questioning, you know, uh, well, you know, what is, uh, I mean, it was a big moment for the Sierra Club. Uh, internally, because many people were like, "How dare you?" or "How, um, you know, what's the what's the point?" Uh, you know, or everybody was racist at that time, or something like that. You know, it's a moment of the, and you know, it's not because you know former slaves or or people that were relocated indigenous communities to make uh, space for like conservation were not like that. So, you know, but I cannot go back to the, in the past, I, I have to, I uh, have to learn from that, no? And, uh, and so how to become much more uh, inclusive and a better organization, an anti-racist organization, you have to take stands. And that's the importance also of then seeing the, this moment and, um, and realizing that unless we, everybody is included and unless we, break up with this uh, patriarchal and, and white supremacy, we're not going to get there. We will never be able to, to, to fight, uh, you know, climate change and, and environmental degradation. And I'm, I'm sure you have seen probably the piece of, uh, you know, from Hop Hopkins on, on how racism is killing the planet. But, you know, it's, it's basically, I mean, it's certainly that, that, you know, for us to envision even conceive or permit environmental degradation and uh, and you know how come we allow a whole watershed to be polluted uh, you know through fracking you know how come we allow this we were able to sacrifice these these locations for the betterment of society and for the betterment of who in the society if there are people in these sacrifice zones that are that that become disposable no and and so there can certainly you know, you cannot have a notion of of, a, of of disposable people unless you have an ideology based on supremacy. In the case of the U.S. of white supremacy, and and so uh, and so we are um, taking steps to 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 become that organization we want to be. Uh, not only. Uh, in terms of taking these stands and and being becoming better allies with uh, other um, organizations in the movement, but also internally, how can we be uh, more accountable to our own staff and our own partners? And so there has been, uh, you know, it, it has been difficult uh, in the 
you know, I'm sure many people have also seen like recent uh, um, articles, you know, on that because, uh, yeah, I mean, we 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 got to know of of instances in the Sierra Club that were very difficult, you know, in terms of of uh, racism, sexual harassment. Uh, and so we should uh, internal investigation and for an organization that has been 130 years, I can tell you there's a lot of stuff that are there and I'm sure any institution in the in the US and in the world that would issue investigations like that, um, you know, would encounter many things. And so we're uh, coping with that. We're dealing with that. Uh, we're trying to set up as much, uh, you know, accountability process uh, to make sure that the Sierra Club is a, it's a safe organization to work with and to partner with and to, and to be an ally within the movement. I want to shift around to talking about some oil and gas and to car standards and that but I before I shift, because I think it's an important question to guide to that shift. There are many of your members, and I kind of want you to speak to them directly right now. You mentioned there are chapters all over the country and the world. And one of the things there is that many of them who will probably listen to this will probably be like, listen, all that's good. That's all wonderful. <laughs> we hear that. And we're, we understand why it's important. But then, you know, obviously, you know, but means you just canceled everything you just said. But, but, but one of the things there um, they would say is this is mission drift. Like, you know, this isn't something that we should be focused on. It's causing us to lose our focus. When we say that climate justice is racial justice, and racial justice is climate justice. They would say that that is taking us off, off the path. And the club is no longer the club, that we are losing our focus on what makes us. What would you tell them? Why is this important to, to, to ensure that we deal with the past? Why is it important to ensure that we have an, an organization that is based upon um, racial equity and an organization that's based upon gender equity and a racial that's based upon us coming together? Why is that important for the mission and the vision? of the Sierra Club mm-hmm. and, sp- and, and speak to them. I mean, right now I want you to pretend you're in a room with your most ardent, hardest, <laughs> I'm about to pack my bags and leave because all this black talk and all this uh, brown talk and all this women talk and all this, all this kind of talk about building a, 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 a an infused movement ain't for me. And so talk to them right now. What are you going to tell them and talk to them? Well, well, thanks for that and for that opportunity. And I'll, you know, in speaking to them, I mean, I, I think I started, you know, when I was talking about the sacrifice zones before uh, alluding to that. But, uh, um, you know, especially when the John Muir blogs came out, there was a lot of uh, I was involved in these kind of of uh, of conversations, both internally and externally as well. And I, you know, in terms of, uh, so to Sierra Club members, you know, um, you know, when we publicly got engaged in the, in the re-examining, you know, aspects of, of the difficult past, um, you know, many responses that I, I received, you know, and, and there was a lot of, um, hate mail, you know, there was, uh, I received, uh, you know, 
I mean, there was a lot of, of positive stuff and people embracing, uh, you know, our move to to ground the environmental movement in equity and justice. But there were many, many of, of you, many uh, members that were more skeptical, urging us, you know, to, to stay in, in our lane. You know what you're saying, Reverend, you know, stick to protecting the environment and and many other were less charitable, you know, like, you know, ranging from reverse discrimination to language, you know, taken from a from a hate group playbook. But, you know, I, I, I at that moment, I was very much focusing in the stay in your lane group, you know, that is a sentiment that is shared by many, many of the of the nearly four million you know, members and supporters of the Sierra Club. And, and you know, to then, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to them. I'm, I want to be, uh, you know, sensitive to, to their claims, you know, but I also cannot help but be in my lane, you know, and I, you know, I want to share the road of, of environmental advocacy with them. I want to, them to understand why it is important that the Sierra Club, uh, you know, that the Sierra Club lane in the environmental movement be broad enough to encompass people like me. You know, uh, you, you know, when I, I'm from Puerto Rico, that is the youngest, uh, um, the youngest uh, chapter of the Sierra Club. And, and, you know, my, so my story therefore begins with a colonized place, you know, where people are often discriminated against and robbed of agency. And, you know, so, so, you know, I'm, I'm Puerto Rican, but I'm, you know, Latin, Latino, Latinx, uh, you know, and, and that is that is a word that uh, that often is not, uh, you know, hyphenated, uh, which is, uh, you know, weird in, because uh, here everybody is something American, you know, unless you're American, that means, you know, white. Everybody else, as, as uh, Toni Morrison said, everybody else has to hyphenate, you know, and and so... But you know, being Puerto Rican, I have I have uncles, four uncles that fought in the in the Korean War. One of them died, and and many families like mine were able to to thrive in this country thanks to access to 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 opportunity and education and privilege. Uh, you know, uh, and if it wasn't because of that reverse discrimination, like I said before, I wouldn't have gone to to an Ivy League school. You know, and reverse discrimination and putting quote unquote, you know, on so people cannot see me uh, doing this to the camera, putting the quotes, but it's it's a, the affirmative action, you know, but I'm unapologetically, you know, result of that. And this this program is too bad that these programs are not there today because they have taken they were doing great things to to advance us there. You know, before 1967, my parents wouldn't have been able to get married in, in some of the states, you know, uh, you know, because of, of mixed race. Uh, you know, those, those restrictions, I, I think they seem absurd now. But, you know, my parents got married at around that time. And, uh, and there were many people that were complacent, uh, you know, back then about that about staying in that lane, uh, you know, and, and at that time, the Sierra Club lane excluded people like me. I mean, not, not in literally like in the books, but it was only through invitation. And I'm sure my, my you know, black ancestors and, and people that were just in one or two generations removed from slavery, being owned by other 
people, uh, you know, wouldn't have been uh, uh, invited there. So, you know, I think things are very different today, uh, you know, in large part to, to people of color and, and white allies that, that fought to open the doors. And, uh, and that, uh, you know, that did not mean ends of uh, discrimination. So, so I think we, we urgent, urgently, you know, need a critical reevaluation of, of our organization, of the Sierra Club. And, and it's just a crucial first step to, to making people like me feel welcome. And, uh, and it is the, the beginning of ensuring that, that people like me join the Sierra Club rather than walking away from it, you know? So I still admire John Muir and, you know, but at the same time, I would never, uh, you know, I, I don't think they're perfect heroes and they're no perfect humans. And, and so seeing and studying a person with all their complexity is not a sacrilege, but it's a, a responsibility. And so, so, you know, for many people in the Sierra Club, I would say, you know, I have no interest in erasing our, our history, uh, you know, but we can learn from, from this, you know, from vision and good things as well as from the flaws of people. So, you know, I would say to them, I, I cannot change lanes, you know, because, you know, for me, there is no other lane, <laughs> you know, there's not two lanes. I cannot switch to that other one. You know, the only lane I can be uh, in is one that that recognizes and, and celebrates my identities. And, and I hope that the Sierra Club, uh, you know, supporters, uh, you know, uh, broaden that uh, idea of the Sierra Club and help, uh, you know, transforming this organization, uh, you know, and, in, and for that matter, the, um, the environmental movement as well, you know, to one that is inclusive, that comes to terms with its past, that celebrates diversity and fights racism and, and centers equity and justice in everything we do. So, Ron, I just want to say this. I want to thank you for your honesty and your transparency. I hope people heard what you just said. Um, for time standpoint, I want to say that not only are we friends, but yeah. we're also co-authors. <laughs> and so folks can read our, our article that we just put out, if, if they don't get enough climate conversation in this conversation, um, because we have to hit on some of these different things here, uh, you can go read our article. We'll just say like that. If you want to read more about some of our yeah. climate perspectives, we're going to get to a little bit of that at the end here. But if you miss it, you can go read our article. That's good enough. But I have to ask you now on a personal standpoint, because after all you just said, um, you know, frankly, do you feel comfortable or, or how do you feel asking for funding and support as a big green with a large amassment of resources, considering that, as you just said, a large amount of Sheriff Club's base is not in support of the anti-racist climate environmental movement. How do you, how, how, how do you, how do you square that? Um, so you mean asking for money in the, uh, with our, for an organization that relatively speaking is so big within the movement, right? No, yeah, no, I'm saying a movement that you know that is big, but that has a large uh, number of people who maybe don't support uh, Sierra Club's anti-racist philosophy. And you're literally, I mean, are you just going, are you, are you just ignoring, in other words, that sector of the community? Mm -hmm. and Because funders are funding Sierra Club and they're funding LCB and they're funding NRDC. They're funding a number of these organizations that, literally aren't looking 
to mm-hmm. be anti-racist organization or have a large number of people, you are in a position of, mm-hmm. you know, you are the president, you know, of the board of directors in the situation. When you go out there, people see you as a person of color. Um, and you are talking about, you know, all the things that need to happen. You mm-hmm. know, how do okay, you square yeah, thanks, that? Uh, thanks for that question. I mean, there's, there are different ways of, of answering. I would say first for the members, uh, you know, because we have seen um, many, um, many members that, um, that have basically written to us, you know, I no longer support the Sierra Club. Uh, I don't want to be part of this. You're like talking nonsense and all that. You know, we try to explain, we try to educate people to, to bring people together. Uh, but we understand that our by taking these stands, there are people that will leave uh, the organization and no longer uh, be with us. And that's that's fine. You have to be aware of like the consequences of taking certain stands. At the same time, I would say that there's other people. And what makes me more hopeful is a lot, uh, a lot of organizations, especially and a lot of new uh, the new generation that all these is they understand the intersectionalism uh, you know within the movements that uh, that it's necessary and so that gives me hope and that that's bringing uh, many members now in terms of the philanthropic community um there uh, yeah i mean it's a, it's a process of education as well i remember especially last summer after george floyd's murder there were i was in several um forums and and panels brought by different uh foundations uh you know on how to become much more uh um you know better allies and so it's a process i mean where well where, where you mentioned last time in in uh, brooklyn it was one of such events no that uh of uh, there's a lot of that the foundations and the philanthropic community has to walk and has to walk together and uh but like any complex organization and the government, the World Bank, you know, like all these big institutions that sometimes people think that they're monolithic. No, they're allies inside them. And there's people that are much more square or traditional. And, you know, it's always, a, you know, when you're in the civil society or outside of government, you know, you have to uh, then work with those people to, to your allies and identify the allies to uh, to be sure that we're moving forward an agenda. And so that's the same with the philanthropic community. And so uh, now uh, having said that, you know, so we're working on that a lot, but then when it comes to Sierra Club as a big organization that relatively speaking, even though they're like, you know, what, what the environmental community get it's it's peanuts it's it's small money in comparison to the task that is needed but within that you could you could argue that yeah sierra club is is pretty big and so being aware of that and being aware of of there's a need to uh and a lot of uh, space we have to walk to become better partners and part of that is also sharing the resources and so you know, again, not perfect, but there has been in comparison to where we were 10, 20 years ago, a much more willingness to do that and to be able to share 
resources. And for example, the uh, uh, during the 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 weeks after Hurricane Maria, or for several weeks last summer, uh, we um, actually shut down our fundraising channels, and then everything that we uh, fund uh, all the funds that we raised during that period of time, we directed it, uh, you know, to organizations in. Puerto Rico, for example, or to uh, a movement for black lives. And, uh, and so it has been, we have been, uh, you know, of course, monitoring how, uh, how, what impact that has in terms of our work, but also in our work in relation to these other organizations and frontline communities that are actually, uh, you know, being out there and that, and that where, where change is needed the most. So it's a, it's a work in progress, but it's something, it's where we're heading towards. Ramon, I just have two more questions for you. Um, I, again, I want to thank you. This has been an amazing conversation. I thank you for your transparency and for your openness. I hope that you will continue to help hold these conversations. There are many other questions that I'm not going to get to today, but just, just some of the frameworks people will be asking that, how does an organization like Sierra Club, you know, work with underserved BIPOC communities? How does it want to do that? How does it maintain its credibility? All those are questions that I think maybe at a future piece I want I want to get to. But I want you just to just, you know, those are important conversations. But I think that I I am hopeful with your leadership that you will you will definitely address. The, the question I want to ask you right now really is around reparations, which kind of which may which may bring all that into into play um, in, in this question here, um, because the Sierra Club recently made a statement in support of reparations. So, how is Sierra Club planning to actualize this? How can you make reparations matter from your role and your position? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, certainly a, a, a tough question that we're uh, you know we're working out. I mean, I think. You know, in terms of of the of the framing of of that, you know, of course, you know, I think our work and you know, in relation to to becoming an anti-racist organization has led us uh, to do there to go in that direction. You know, after you know, because ultimately, you know, black people in the United States continue to experience you know highest rates of poverty, of unemployment, of health disparities of, of, you know, incarceration, uh, you know, low, just low, low, low wages, you know, and, uh, and, and, you know, so rates of, of wealth accumulation in general, you know, so it's, it's certainly connected to that, to that past and the, and the past and current exploitation of, of the black community, you know, and so, so we have been, um, you know, it, it, trying to become much more conscious of that. And, you know, if in, uh, when it comes to, um, I guess, the definition that we would go under, um, you know, like from the, from the National Coalition of, of Blacks for Reparation in America, no? um, you know, they, they define reparations as, as, and I'm quoting here, you know, a process of repairing, healing, and restoring a people injured because of their group identity and in violation of their fundamental human rights by governments, corporations, institutions, and families. And, uh, and so, 
you know, if if the Sierra Club is going to strive for true allyship, you know, in the fight for justice and environmental justice, we must acknowledge that reparations, uh, you know, has to be there to to promote, you know, the kind of investments in in capital and and infrastructure and jobs that contribute to the, you know, to 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 that, uh, you know, social determinant. You know? So so. You know, when it comes to us, um, for example, in the in the last uh, in in last summer, especially to to black people in the organization, we did uh, give, for example, more uh, than to the rest in terms of uh, of um, extra days. Uh, you know, access to to uh, to. Um, benefits and well-being and uh, etc um, especially i mean because of 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 what was uh, going through uh, in the in the whole nation however in terms of uh you know we issued that statement um i would say that you know right now we're basically trying to define what would that mean in terms of uh of budget in terms of us as an organization in terms of what we can do for our people not only from taking stands uh, for society but also how how does that uh, translate uh, to us and i don't want to uh, uh of course uh, you know having uh, two unions uh with a within our our ranks and uh you know and me speaking on behalf half of the board, but also 64 chapters, uh, you know, I cannot say categorically this, this and this, but it's something that we're actively uh, actually in the middle of, of discussing. Ramon, I'm going to thank you. This is my last question. I have to ask this question. Um, and I actually, uh, you can answer this question in, in English or in Spanish, actually. Um, this one goes to Puerto Rico. This is the last one. Where does Puerto Rico go from here? There's a lot going on. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of discussion in regarding to the island's power sector. A lot of things what FEMA has done. There's a lot of different number of political freedom. Um, there's a lot of conversations around just so much around with Puerto Rico right now. And so in your role, in your role with the Shield Club, in your role as, as president, um, speak to Puerto Rico. And your mm-hmm. last, because this does make us full circle. And yeah. you don't have you, I guess it could be English or in Spanish. Yeah. Well, muchas gracias por, por esa oportunidad. Uh, I'll, I'll say it first in English and then I'll sum up in Spanish since the, the, the podcasts have been in English uh, in general. But but yeah, I mean, people, I, I still dream in Spanish, uh, as I said before. No? So, but, uh, but, you know, it's... Um, um, I guess uh, speaking to them, uh, to, to Puerto Ricanos, um, it's important that that we um, get out of the framework that has um, that has uh, dominated politics for so long, uh, that has uh, people blinded into continuing, for example, supporting like the current political party that it's. Uh, I mean, not that the other one that has uh, been in power, it's uh, too different. Uh, but right now we should focus on on building that civil society and building uh, a movement that it's 
independent from those big political parties. I'm not saying here advocating for uh, for uh, one uh, formula or political status. Uh, I'm saying independence as a civil society uh, because, for example, right now we are missing a huge opportunity uh, to become uh, energy independent, to become much more resilient because of the government that is in power right now. Uh, we are in, entitled and allowed to receive a lot of uh, not only money from FEMA, but from housing and rebuild Puerto Rico. You know, it's already four years after Hurricane Maria and uh, where the whole electric uh, system went down. And, um, and there are the resources to become, um, you know, solar and um, independent. And still the government is basically, even though they are passing laws uh, to be, to be um, um, you know, carbon neutral in the future and, uh, and reducing emissions, they're actually, no, they're like, they're tricking us. Uh, and you have, you know, Puerto Ricans have to wake up to that because, for example, the, the government allowed, the local government uh, allowed this uh, LNG terminal, liquefied and badly named natural gas, uh, to to be in Puerto Rico in the middle of the one of the densest areas in the whole Caribbean to bring gas there uh, and it's fracked gas mostly from the U.S. It's new fortress energy uh, bringing the company uh, it's called and and bringing these uh, all of these and basically uh, re transforming the the infrastructure to become a um, uh, you know, basically based on fossil fuel for another few decades to come. When we have the opportunity to have a decentralized system that it's much more resilient, that it's based on the resources that we have the most, that it's the sun. And, and so we have to reject that. We have to reject the, the privatization by Luma Energy, uh, you know, of the whole uh, system. Uh, for transmission and, and distribution, but they're trying to, to uh, privatize that. And I'm not taking an ideological stand in terms of against privatization of no, or not. It's just that uh, they're trying to do a centralized system that it's still a monopoly and worse than a public monopoly is a private monopoly. And so that, uh, that is actually doing uh, great damage to the people of Puerto Rico. So we have to uh, work with the allies uh, in the diaspora to basically uh, create a better future for Puerto Rico. So uh, uh, again, there's a, a mentality that it uh, comes after all these years of colonization, of racism as well from the U.S. government, uh, and uh, and people, you know, need to to wake up to not only um, uh, you know request that and and uh, from our leaders, but also from the U.S. government. So I guess I spoke too too long there, and I probably uh, shouldn't get into the the. Uh, no, well, 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 any 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 words of any last words of hope in Spanish you want to give? Bueno, us? que que sí, tenemos que 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 realmente eh, despertarnos, no, para para eh, hacer frente a lo que el gobierno actual está haciendo, por, pero no solamente el gobierno actual, eh, los gobiernos anteriores, no, de que 
eh, de que básicamente han empeñado el futuro de la isla eh, y lo que necesitamos es ser mucho más eh, resilientes, mucho más autosuficientes eh, en cuanto a energía y pues seguir lo, los ejemplos que hemos visto en diferentes comunidades como es Casa Pueblo en Adjunta eh, creando una revolución eh, energética eh, para, para ser este, mucho más independientes en ese aspecto. So thanks a lot for that opportunity. No, thank you. And that is Ramon Cruz, my friend, my co-author and president of the Sherrod Club. And I am Rev Yearwood, your host of The Coolest Show. Thank you, my brother. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us at Think 100 Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100%, which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all power to the people. It's the coolest show.